Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About Thrones, where Richard, Jenny, and I talk about thrones. Sometimes. Well, sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we, we do. We usually, we, sometimes we talk about other things as well. That's really the more accurate part of it. Um, Richard, how are you this, well, is it morning? It's afternoon. How are you this afternoon? I am doing really well. We're doing that weird thing where we're recording on a Sunday because this yeah. is the time that we could get together. We're also doing that weird thing that I think we do once each season, <laughs> which is the Jennyless episode, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Apparently the, uh, she got called into action somewhere else, so she is not with us today. If she jumps in, in the middle, then you'll know uh, you'll know why she doesn't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Now this is it's been a while since we recorded and we both watched these episodes a while ago. Um for you every episode is kind of a trial in patience and while you're trying to keep up with everything else and I made the mistake of watching like 5 in a row. Um, yeah, seriously, what were you thinking? Although I I think I told you when I watched these that when 406 was over cuz we're going to talk about 405 first of his name and 406 the laws of gods and men. Yeah. And when 406 was over I really wanted to watch ahead. Yeah. It was one of the first times since we started this that I was so tempted to break the rule of not spoiling myself. Yeah. <laughs> there were other times where I'm like, oh, I can't wait for next time. But this one was like, I just really wanted to, And I'm like, nope, not going to do it. Yeah, this is uh, so we've we've had some episodes where they're paired together. They pair together very nicely. These two episodes we're talking about today pair together very nicely they almost seem like a continuous episode they're they're blended so well and as you'll see when you watch the next couple the next like three episodes all blend in together very well it's all just like one very long movie um <laughs> and and it's uh, i don't know if it's it's because the 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 creators were trying to blend in things a little bit better or just the pacing's different but yeah these are uh, more episodes that match very nicely Indeed. All right. Well, so we're going to muddle through this since yeah. it's been a while for we're both of us and our memories are a little bit blurry, but <laughs> we're probably going to screw some things up, but that's how it goes. Let's start okay. off in Marine with Danny. I know usually we end with Danny this time. We're going to go ahead and start off this time. It's a, it's not a, as climactic as it's been. Um, Marine is a beautiful city and Danny is there with her, with her dragons and her people and, and uh, they've taken over. They're cleansing the old, the old people out of the way, the, the old rulers, the slavers. Um, but there's troubling news from the South. The cities she's already liberated haven't stayed exactly the way she left them. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, this is a, th- the masters in Yunkai have taken over the entire city and re-enslaved all the free men or all the freed men, freed people. And the council that she puts in place in Astapor is the, the people are still free, but now the council has been taken over by a butcher main, named Cleon, which is completely inconsequential from here on out. So that's the only mention he's going to get. I was just going to ask, do I need to remember? No, you do not. Um, <laughs> But this this drives Danny to do an interesting thing. Okay, so the second sons have taken over all of the have taken all, over all these ships. They've acquired all these ships, and uh, 
with or without Danny's permission, doesn't really matter. She now has the opportunity to take her 8,000 Unsullied and her 2,000 Second Sons and cruise on into Westeros, and she decides this may not be the right time. Which is a little bit surprising, because when we last saw her, she kind of seemed like she was on a little bit of a power trip. Mm. And the setbacks in the other areas that uh, she had, uh, you know, you use the word liberated, I'll use the word conquered, had, uh, I, I think were a rude awakening to her. Yeah. And, it, you know, I'm, I'm going to quote something from the showrunners here in one of the uh, re- review uh, videos that they did after this episode. But I think the, the point here that's really poignant is that she realizes that it's a little bit easier to conquer than to rule. Yeah. In, in fact, and what, so she, ulti- what she says is, um, how can, if I can't control or if I can't lead three cities, how am I supposed to rule seven kingdoms? Right. And that's just, so, this is like, a, a, it, it seems so simple while you're watching the show, but to be in her position and to really go into that, you know, the empathic moment with her, that's a lot of wisdom by this, 16 17 year old girl that's just kind of been through all these different things and based on the fact that jorah has really been the voice of reason in her ear mm-hmm. all along it was surprising to me that she came to that conclusion so yeah i i was i was impressed by that i thought that was kind of cool and ultimately that leads to a situation where she's uh, receiving people to from her city mm-hmm. to hear them mm-hmm. and potentially grant their requests. And she kind of gets a little bit of a rude awakening and perspective on the toils of the people she now rules. Right. Uh, Drogon has gone out hunting and decided to slay some sheep. He likes to eat the sheep, the goats, the goats, not the sheep, the goats. Um, and now people are raising concerns about that. Hey, uh, what about these dragons that you're just letting run everywhere? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and oh, by the way, um, that the the uh, people that you are crucifying. Yeah. Some of them were our families. Yeah, they have families and those families want to take care of theirs and yeah, it's it's she she's really getting into the nuts and bolts that it's not all just take 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 conquer conquer conquer. She's really got to actually rule. She's need to she needs to be the 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 people's queen, not just the queen by right. So good growth scenes. I thought I thought these were really cool. I did we actually see any dragons um i don't remember if we saw dragons in this one or not i i believe we did in the second episode um but i'm not i don't because I, I know we do very very quickly after that <laughs> mm. Mm. Okay. so that kind of blends together but either way this is this is a great great period of growth for for danny she's really kind of coming into her own and 
uh, again, as I said before, and it's not really even that spoiler because I think you're already seeing the trend now. It's a period of growth and conquering of success followed by a period of failure and, and uh, you know, she two steps forward, one step back kind of thing. And this is one of those times when she actually takes more than two steps forward. She's actually like really coming into her own. It's great. Yep. Yep. All right. Next up, we have good old Podrick and Brienne. And they're not getting along so well. Brienne would like to have Podrick go away so she can do her own business and do her own bidding. And Podrick wants nothing more than to just do the job he's been given. And they, uh, he, he's not a very good cook. He burns a rabbit. <laughs> he's, he can't control his horse. Like he's, he's kind of just the, the, not the ideal squire. Until, he burns a rabbit that he failed to skin before yeah, he, cooking he it. Yeah, he forgets to skin it before he's cooked. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, he, he has issues. He's got some learning to do. Um, and then uh, he's talking with Brienne, and, you know, basically she asks if he's ever seen combat or whatever, and he's like, well, yeah, I shoved a spear through the skull of the guy that tried to attack Tyrion back at the Battle of Blackwater. And she's like, oh, yeah. So you have, she realizes you, you're a dedicated squire. You're like, you're not just here to, for the fame and glory. You're willing to get your hands dirty. Right. Exactly. It, it was a great moment where he gains some respect almost accidentally. Yeah. Cause it's not that he was being braggadocious or anything else. It just kind of came out and it just having to be exactly what she wanted to hear. Right. Well, and, and what's beautiful Beautiful about that is that it comes out essentially because she's just getting on his case yeah. <laughs> about how, you know, how bad he is and how he doesn't know what he's doing. And as a result of that interchange, mm-hmm. this ends up coming out. So, yeah. And, and so you start to see this development of their relationship mm-hmm. where they're getting to know each other better. Right. Um, also in the river Riverlands, speaking of relationships and people getting to know each other better, Arya and the Hound, uh, the Hound wakes up one morning and Arya is not around. So he goes looking for, for her. I won't use the words that he used. Goes looking for, and finds that she's dancing with needle. She's doing her little swords dance. Um, and he thinks that's ridiculous. Oh, isn't that cute? She's <laughs> dancing with her sword. <laughs> Well, and this is interesting, too, because this came, I believe, right after, like, you see them settling down for the night and she's doing her little recount right, of her names, all of the names that she's going to kill one day. Yeah. And she doesn't get through and, it all either. And he's on that list. Yeah. Um, and, of, of course, this comes also at a time when Arya is really feeling the stride. She's really feeling like she's all that in a bag of chips, like. She's killed a couple people. She's earning yeah, some respect from the hound. You know, she's really, she's, she's like, she's, I'm all that. And the hound mouths off to her. She decides she'd take a shot at him with her beautiful sword. And it pokes his, his, his scale mail or ring mail or whatever he's wearing and his chin mail. And it just, it doesn't do anything at all. And it it's, it's this moral defeat for her. And, almost this nonchalant win for him 
in the the essence of their relationship. But I also have to imagine a learning for her. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and, and you know this is her taking her shot to to kill the hound. Like this is okay. Well, I can. I'm on my own. I'm I'm independent. You know, she's the 13 year old that can conquer the world. Except her sword doesn't work for some people. <laughs> um yeah so that, that's that's a moment uh i'm glad you reminded me of that before sh- before the show because i had completely forgotten about it and that is one of those one of those little times in aria's life where she's just uh, oh that's this is how the world works okay cool well and it's interesting because of how the two of them being thrown together are kind of having to live with each other mm. even though Arya doesn't really have any respect for him. He, I, I don't know that we necessarily know how he feels about her, except for the fact that she's an obligation right now to, you know, she's the means to an end. Yeah. She's, she's his payday. If he could ever find someone to buy her, <laughs> <laughs> she's the merchandise without a purchaser. Yeah. Since all the purchasers are dead. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, mm. um, okay, so on to the Vale of Aaron, which is where the Hound and Arya had tried to go to, uh, you know, be, before being rebuffed at the gate uh, by. Uh, I guess, I guess, I guess. No, that's uh, that's that's coming up. Uh, they're, so they're they're on their way to the Vale of the Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had a little spoiler there. I'm gonna pretend I didn't hear that. Uh, it's it's not as much a spoiler as it could have been if I'd continued the sentence. Okay. Um, they uh they're, they're they're on the way to the Vale of Aaron, of Aaron. Meanwhile, in the Vale, uh, Peter and Sansa arrive, and basically say, uh, "We're we're we're here." Uh, I'm going to. Uh, she he, well, Peter doesn't doesn't announce that it's Sansa. He just announces that it's like his niece or something like that, some relative, right? Right. Yeah. There's there's like all of this pseudo secretive or supposedly secretive stuff going on. But at the same time, all of these crazy reveals where all this shit comes together. Right. Um, <sighs> so first of all, maybe I missed it, but did we know that he had anything to do with Liza? Uh, only in that we know that Peter grew up with Caitlin and, and or Catalan and Catalan and Lysa are sisters. So there had to have been some sort of like they knew each other when they were little, but now they're betrothed. Now it's like surprise, it's like a thing. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. No, that that was uh, that 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 threw me the first time I watched it. Um, but we heard them coming. If you will. <laughs> yeah, ah, uh, that ah, was that was kind of what ridiculous. I did there. And Lysa is is all about her some Peter. She like she loves the Peter. She um, loves him loudly. <laughs> um, yeah, and then it, it, Sansa has a nice little scene in here where she's building up Winterfell. She's building in the snow of 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 the castle in the little courtyard area. She builds a snow castle of Winterfell and um, Robin comes out and wants to know about Winterfell 
and basically just steps on her castle after they made nice with each other, doesn't understand why she's offended by it, and continues to just destroy the castle. That How did you take that whole scene right there? Because it, it kind of seemed like Robin was a normal boy, and then he just reverted back to his childish self. Well, okay. First of all, you kind of have to think about what the normal expected behavior might be for an 11-year-old breastfeeder. <laughs> um, There's that. I, right, right. Okay, so... And there's also this weird tension where, and I don't know if I missed this when it was first mentioned, but apparently Sansa and Robin were promised to each other. Mm. No, yeah, that was, I think, briefly mentioned, or maybe it was mentioned a little bit later, but yeah, that was. And so. It's kind of a throwaway fact. Okay, that's fine. But it also, besides the fact that he's a little bit maladjusted, mm. might also have some sense of, sorry to say this, ownership. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it, it wouldn't even necessarily occur to him that he couldn't, shouldn't, wouldn't yeah. like, do something that would be a control move. Yeah. It, it, and it's it really, it, it's just... it just further shows how immature Robin is, not just that he's stuck to his mother's breast, literally, but he's <laughs> just not, you know, like you said, he's, he's maladjusted. He just, he just, he's not functioning at the proper level mentally. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and he's Lord such, of the Vale. <laughs> such a weird, weird set of scenes there, particularly with the players, right? Because you have mm. Baelish, you have Liza and you have Robin, all three of which are such bizarre characters. Right. And Sansa, who ironically is the normal one in that gang, <laughs> and she's so poorly adjusted to life herself. Yeah. Um, don't forget Liza's little tirade with, uh, with Sansa about how, you know, what did you do with, with Peter? You know, oh. on the on the boat ride, like she's just kind of she's a little in for herself. Yeah, well, I mean, so she she first plays to Sansa like, oh, you know, I'm here, I'm your aunt, I'm here to take care of you. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're safe, and then takes this bizarre, physically abusive and accusatory tone with. Sansa. Yeah. And then just lets up when I guess she either doesn't hear anything she's worried about or, or, uh, doesn't get any response like she was hoping for. Yeah. And plays like, Oh, no big deal. You know? Yeah. Go on your way, sweetheart. I, I mean, it was, it was such a bizarre thing. And, but at the same time, it's Lysa, the woman who's breastfeeding her 11 year old son. So Nothing too bizarre there can really surprise me. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's um the, the the whole relationship, the entire like the the whole veil, everything that ever happens in the veil or about the veil or around the veil is just not normal. 
at all. It's just this place of abnormality. <laughs> yes, that I, that sounds about right from what I've seen so far. Yeah. All right. Um, is there anything else in the, in the veil that you want to talk about? Because it gets pretty interesting pretty quick, but it's not quite there yet. There's a brief reference to that pit in the floor, mm-hmm. which seems a whole lot like foresh- uh, foreshadowing. Mm. So uh, I expect we're probably going to see more of that at some point. <laughs> you, like you, as a reminder, oh yeah, by the way, there's a big hole here and people die through that hole. Yeah. That's, um, it's kind of, it, it's the defining feature of the veil is what it is. there there are other things about the veil that make it unique that's the one thing that you can't get away from in the veil what is that thing called what isn't it like the the moon something the moon door the moon door yeah why would it be called the moon door it's on the bottom it looks down yeah i don't understand that is there like a reflection in water or something I, I, i i i don't know um I, I believe it was described somewhere, but I'm not sure. It, maybe it has the, the the veil of Aaron. Their their sigil has like a moon on it, and it's got the moon on the floor. And because mm. it's in the throne room, it's not like in just a random room. It's right, like it's a central piece, this the central area of their throne room. Right. So, well, I mean, you can imagine that a ruler might want a trap door that they could use when they're and you know when 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 they have people calling. <laughs> Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's let's uh, head just slightly north, like all the way to Craster's Keep, where this this slimy individual that you named last time, Locke. Creepy guy. Yeah, creepy guy, McCreeperson. Uh, Locke is checking out Craster's Keep, finds uh, Bran, Jojen, Mira, and Hodor held up and tied up and everything else. Um. And then goes off and tells the Night's Watch that are that are coming up, down on Craster's Keep, oh, avoid that one. It's got like animals in it or something. So kind of kind of creepy again. Like why why would you do that? What's going on there? Yeah, this was okay. So everything with this guy kind of freaks me out. And and again, I recall that this actor is so typecast as being creepy dude in yeah. nearly everything that he's in. But we're what what struck me about this sequence of scenes the most was that we have kind of like a series of double crosses here. Mm. Like we have this one thing where creepy dudes trying to misdirect um, oh, you know what? I'm getting confused. I'm I'm getting confused by the characters that you're talking about. I'm thinking creepy dude is like wax face creepy dude who's running Craster's Keep, and that's oh, what no. confused me. You're talking about like Mister Dude. <laughs> Who came in at the last minute? Yeah, and is like, oh yeah, I'll come up with you. I'll come, I'll come fight with you, no problem, Rob. Yeah, right. Uh, and nobody knows anything about him, although he has like this kind of cloak of mystery around him. 
And we thought he was a good guy because he stepped up, or at least I did, because, you know, I'm stupid and I don't understand what's going on in this show. <laughs> and then, okay, so now we're caught up at my, and, and we've corrected for my confusion. <laughs> Welcome, Richard, to the this episode of Let's Talk About Thrones. <laughs> right. So, Creepy Dude, in fact, does have Jojen and Jojen's sister Mira. and Bran. And Hodor. And Hodor all tied up mm-hmm. in this one place and Rob's supposed friend goes to investigate and sees him and is like, yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. Yeah, well, and I, I just got the clarification. He says that's where the dogs are being kept. So don't <laughs> go near that one because it'll alert everyone else that we're about to attack. Yeah. So, uh, the, we have some other stuff going on though, because creepy dude is, in that room Mm. and uh, we see a scene where he's basically threatening to uh, take advantage of Jordan's sister Mm -hmm. and we end up with ultimately we end up with uh, mystery dude John's John's not friend that (laughs) came up with with him and the Night's Watch folks double crossing them and and what so, what happens after that kind of is is kind of uh, really friggin' cool because Bran saves the day via Hodor, right? Um, so John and his and his men attack Craster's Keep. That causes a big disruption. Um, Locke goes and grabs them, starts pulling them out. Um, the Night's Watch is killing the traitors. That's that's going to work just fine. Without watching the scene, like how do you visually, how do you audibly explain what's going on here? Because there's so much going on in such a short period of time. Um, no, you're absolutely right. This this is one of those things where there's just a, a ton of activity and it's hard to keep track of. Yeah. So, like I said, the the things that really caught my attention were. You know, there's there's this heightened sense of threat against these four kids, well, three kids and and Hodor. Then you have the um, the even worse situation where now we find that that Locke is double crossing mm-hmm. and um, isn't there to help Rob. And well, so the, part yeah. of the problem with with Locke is that we never really find out what his intentions were. He went in there nope. to get to get Bran. Bran defends himself by working into Hodor. Hodor kills Locke and then they, the four of them escape. Uh, Bran can see John fighting calls for him a couple times. Jojen reminds him, Hey, you got to make a choice. It's either go back to your family or continue on. Bran has just had this vision where he knows exactly where they need to go because he sees this tree and this, the sunset and the blah, blah, blah. And has right. to make that choice to continue going north as opposed to staying with John. Meanwhile, frankly, Locke is dead, and we think... don't know why he wanted Bran. That's true. Frankly, I don't think that Jojen was telling him he needs to make a choice. He was basically saying, you're going for that tree, right? <laughs> yeah, You was... need to shut up and not let John know that you're here. It, it was, yeah, it was really more of a non-choice. Right, because if he knows you're here, you will not be able to continue to on. 
you know, continue your quest, if you will. Yeah. So that was a little bit crazy. And then the Night's Watch frees all the women yep. that have been held. And they kind of boldly stand up for themselves, if you will, as everybody burns Craster's Keep. Yeah. Because there's this moment where, like, well, where are they going to go? And the women are like, we'll be fine. Screw it. We'll be fine. Right. Screw it. We have, we don't, we we don't need the memories that are here. Yeah. Um, So they burn it down. They burn Craster's Keep to the ground while everybody watches. Rast, the dude that was always harassing uh, Sam and ended up being one of the mutineers and, you know, falling in line behind Carl and everything else, he goes running away from all this. He escapes the onslaught of the Night's Watch only to fall flat in the face of Ghost, who then removes him from the story. Oh, dude, I totally forgot about that. That was a nice moment, too. (laughs) It was very satisfying. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, uh, Ghost returns to John's side, and they go along from there. So... And I forgot to put that one in my notes too. Yeah, that that is a that that's a a, a nice moment there. I completely forgot about Ghost. So yeah, a whole lot in that. And that's actually that's the ending scene of episode four hundred five. Like yes. that's the the big uh, uh, climax of that episode, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's so that's the one that started it. Uh, it, it, it's beautiful. I, I, it's one of those, <laughs> that whole ending scene there with the, with the exception of the brand lock weirdness, it's just overall very satisfying. Yep. Cause kind of everybody gets what's coming to them. So, yeah. Um, and ghost is released from his cage, which is, you know, it's gotta be every dog lover's favorite part, right? When one of the, one of the dire wolves survives, at least for now. Yeah, because like my worst horrific moment was when one of them was killed. <laughs> like that's the only thing that I cared about during the wedding. Yeah, it, it killed one of the wolves. Yeah. Okay. So on we go. Now Yara has found uh, Theon at the Dreadfort and is attempting to free him. She breaks into the the kennels where he's being held. She opens the cage. She says, let's go. And Theon says, my name is Reek. He refuses to go with her. So this is essentially a, I don't know that it's supposed to be a reminder to us necessarily, but this reinforces how totally brainwashed he has been. He is so in fear of his life that he he believes that he is no longer Theon because that's the only way he'll be able to survive. Right. And 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 he doesn't know because it's already happened so many times. He doesn't know if this Yara person, like this sister that he's that he knows and he's met, he doesn't know if this is another trick. Except that it is his sister and She's a badass. Yeah. And they have shown some rapport between the two of them. Yeah. So. And you can the, see towards the end of this, he almost breaks. 
he's very, very close to just going. I didn't catch that. And then he he buckles, and right before he buckles is when Ramsey Snow comes in there, and Theon buckles down, gets back in his cage. He follows his orders of his master, and his he rebuffs his sister, and Yara leaves empty-handed and completely shocked. And Theon is rewarded for his loyalty. Yeah. He gets positive reinforcement that he did the right thing. Yes. Yep. Um, to her credit, Yara broke into the Dreadfort, found her brother, and then got caught and escaped. Like, she's a badass. She's That's not messing she's around. She's a total badass. <laughs> She's a total badass. Yeah. I, I, you know, I didn't like her when they first introduced her character. Uh huh. And she grows on you though. Yeah. With this, with this sequence of scenes, totally, totally changed my opinion of her. Hmm. Well, it's just the loyalty to her brother, to retrieving her brother, even against her father's wishes. Yeah. Yep. All right. So one more thing before we get to the big finale, uh, bravos. Stannis and um, the Onion Knight are heading to Bravos to try to borrow money from the Iron Bank. This is a great scene because I don't even know where I am, right? And I think that's by design. You're seeing this glorious land mm-hmm. th- that seems grand and rich, and it isn't. It isn't really until you're a little ways into the scene that you realize where they are and why they're there. Right. And it seems like a hopeless scene. The entire time, they don't care about Stannis at all. They don't, they're not going to lend money to someone who's lost most of his ships, lost most of his army, doesn't hold the throne, doesn't hold anything other than an island in the middle of the ocean or the sea or whatever. That's all because Stannis is an idiot, but Davos is not. Davos is key to everything Stannis ever (laughs) has a chance for. (laughs) He breaks out the oratory skills. Stannis is ready to walk away, rebuffed and, and, and broke. And Davos steps up, tells the story of Stannis, says that he's the rightful ruler, and points out that the, um, the Lannisters, while they're in control now, and they're in all this debt and everything else now, they're going to lose. And when they do, what happens to all that money that they were owed? What happens when there's someone new on the throne? So who do you want to back? Today's leader or tomorrow's leader? Right. And they decide to back him. And it's the, it's the most... It's kind of the quickest turnaround, the single quickest turnaround we've ever seen in this show. He also uses this great metaphor, if you will, of his missing digits. Oh, because he keeps his promises. About how Stannis repays his debts. Yeah. And he reveals his hand as evidence that he repaid his debt. (laughs) Yep. 
Yeah, this Pretty is uh ninety cool. percent of the scene is boring. Nobody cares about it. Nobody, it, it doesn't matter at all. The last ten percent makes this five minute scene totally worthwhile. But I think that's by design, right? Mm-hmm. Like I feel like the scene was set up to feel empty and trudging so that it could come to such a swift and dramatic closure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay. And finally we have one last scene to talk about and it's probably the biggest scene. It took over uh, probably the second half of, um, of four Oh six. Well, let's, let's look at it this way. We have one more place to talk about. Mm. There are a series of scenes. There is a series of scenes that we should probably discuss because in addition to Tyrion's trial, there's, there's also a lot of setup mm-hmm. as we see Tommen take the throne, yeah. right? So we have Tommen now on the throne and Marjorie posturing to get in with him and all of this eye contact between them that Cersei is, you know, Cersei is a smart woman. I yeah. mean, you know, she kills Terminators. She knows what's going on. So she uh, she notices this and she goes and talks to Marjorie and says, um, you know, you could still be queen if you're really interested. I could put in a word with my father if you want. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is totally how Marjorie would have wanted this to go. Yeah. Like, I didn't see it coming that way. I thought it was going to work the opposite way. I thought Cersei was going to come up and threaten her and say, what the hell do you think you're doing? But the problem is now you're giving Cersei control of the situation again. And that's, uh, that's, that's what true. Cersei wants. She wants control of the situation. So That's true. Especially if it's going to be an inevitable result, such as Marjorie and Tom and Bean together. It's already, she already knows it's bought off by everybody that, that necessary to buy it off, buy off on it. So she might as well control the situation as much as she can. And she injects herself into it in this way. So it, it, it seems nice and it seems sweet on the surface, but it's not at all. Yeah. I don't know that I necessarily would have categorized it as nice and sweet so much as naive, but uh, what you're saying makes a whole lot of sense. Mm. She's re-grasping control of something she otherwise has been kind of left out of the loop on. Yeah. And then we also, we, we cut to Cersei and Tywin having a discussion about the same, very, the very same Bank of Bravos, the Iron Bank of Bravos. And basically the crown owes tons of money to the bank and there's no more gold in Westeros. All and this is news to, yeah. to, to Cersei. Uh, well, it, it's it's Cersei, but this is pretty much news to everybody, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? Like, <laughs> I don't think we, the audience, had any idea that this kingdom was in massive debt and bankrupt. Yeah, well, it had been mentioned before when uh, when um, Ned had kind of looked at the finances with Peter. But again, we're talking almost a throwaway fact. You know, it's this little environmental thing, this little story element from three seasons ago <laughs> that is just coming back now. And, uh, of course, this, this actually leads into the Iron Bank scene that we see later on, but we've already discussed that part. 
Then we start getting into the trial. Yeah. Um, the, is this how you saw this trial going? Because this is the first time we've seen a full-fledged trial in this show. Every time, every other time, it's been one person, usually a lord or a lady, accusing someone else of something, and it kind of just gets handled right then and there. This seemed so. This is another one of those elaborate scenes that is blocked so intentionally, but has so so much going on in a very subtle way. Mm-hmm. So first of all, way more people here than I expected to see. Then you have a whole bunch of people basically sitting up at the throne level with Tywin in the throne, yes. which I find interesting, I guess as the arbiter of the trial, if you will, and is he? Because there are three judges, really. But well, he's he's the he's the hand of the king, so he's the king's right hand person to act in the king's stead when the king is not able to. Okay, and king so he Tommen, can sit there. Yeah, King Tommen recuses himself of the trial because of how close it is to his family and blah 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 blah. So that puts Tywin on the throne. Well, actually, to be clear about things, Tywin states that Tommen recuses himself from the trial Fair enough. because of how close, right? Um, uh, isn't everybody else? I mean, isn't he, right? Like, right. this is his son. So that's kind of an absurd statement. But mm. um, it, it, it makes sense given the situation. But I thought that, I thought that was an interesting distinction, that mm. it wasn't that the king said, I am recusing myself. It's that Tywin states that this is how this is playing out. And that makes me question is probably the wrong word, but that makes me wonder just how much as Tommen sits on the throne, is Tywin going to take advantage of the opportunity to really be in control? And and that fleshes out pretty quickly as um, so Tywin Oberon Martell, who we've already, we've already discussed, he's, He's he's the uh, the current sexy man in King's Landing, right? <laughs> and, and 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 we mean literally sexy. He has sex with anyone, right? He's just out there to to get and give. Um, and then Mace Tyrell is kind of like the old guy just hanging on the wings, and he's the third judge. And they start calling witnesses, including uh, Marin Trant, Maester Parcel, Cersei, and Varys. Yeah. And you'd expect yeah. Varys to be the one person that they wouldn't call because, well, he and Tyrion have a bit of a rapport. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that they wouldn't call him. But I am surprised by his testimony, if you will. Hmm. So, yeah. So I, I, before we get into the details of the of the trial itself – There's one more thing about, you know, you mentioned all of these people that are there. In addition to the three judges, there's also like a handful of people sitting up at the level Hmm. of the throne with, you know, as if they're a part of the proceeding, including Marjorie, which I don't understand. (laughs) 
Like, wait, why would she? Okay, Cersei, maybe. She is, I believe, a witness and, you know, her relationship with everyone. But right. why is Marjorie there? I don't get that. Yeah. This is one of those scenes where they may have dressed it up a little bit too much, a little too much scene dressing. Um, or it may just reflect the politics of the situation where Marjorie is, you know, possibly the queen to be. So they want her up there as a backing. Cause anybody that they bring up there to the throne level is going to be people that are on board and supporting. And then you can have right. all the, the minor Lords and ladies in the audience. So it may have just been a, a show of force and a show of, of, of camaraderie amongst those who were, you know, overseeing the trial. I was also surprised by the the mass of lords and ladies in the right. the throne room for this. Like they the crowd. they had a serious audience for this. Yeah, a couple hundred people at least. So okay, um, so yeah, so they call these witnesses, and Varys, of course, I think gives some of the most surprising testimony, where he talks about things that he's overheard or conversations that he's aware of and throws Tyrion under the bus, which. And he doesn't do so in like, Oh yeah, this is what happened. This is what happened. He basically picks and chooses the facts that he wants to, to display. And none of them make Tyrion look good at all. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and Tyrion, I mean, you can tell that this is just shocking and tearing at Tyrion because he he felt like Varys kind of had his back, even mm-hmm. from prior conversation where Varys had said, you know, the the kingdom may not remember who saved it, but many of us do, uh, and so he felt like. He, Tyrion, felt like he could depend on Varys. Mm-hmm. And obviously, that was not the case. Varys was not standing up for him. And this is what confuses me about that. We have spoken repeatedly about how Varys does the thing that is best for the kingdom. And I have a hard time understanding why testifying against the person who you know is probably best suited to help guide the future of this kingdom, how that's the best thing for the kingdom. This strikes me more as a move of self-preservation than anything else. A kingdom searching for the killer of a king is a kingdom in turmoil. So the sooner they can put the business of finding the killer and putting them to rest, the sooner the country can move on with the country. If Varys goes in there and says, well, Tyrion didn't do this, and this is why I know, this is what happened, blah, 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 blah. Now the witch hunt begins. Well, then who did? And if they start looking at the Tyrells, who are actually responsible, that throws all of the plans for Marjorie becoming queen and all the peace accords and everything else they've already put in place, throws all that into shambles and it causes more chaos and more turmoil 
for everyone and possibly more war because then you have the Tyrells and the um, the Lannisters going after each other because of the death of, of jo- Joffrey. So and that's not going to go well for the Lannisters. Well, it's not going to go well for the kingdom overall. And that's yeah. where Varys is at. It's yeah, okay. sacrificing okay. one lamb to save the flock. All right. That that totally makes sense to me. And, and that's why you see Varys. He never says anything that's not true. Everything he says is is truth. It's just select bits of truth. So he's not lying. It's lies of omission. Right. If anything, that's what it would be. Because there's more to every, everything that he says, there's more to say about it that right. would probably even get close to exonerating Tyrion. But he stops short of that because he needs to cater to a story that's going to bring peace to the kingdom as quickly as possible. Which, if Tyrion takes the fall for the death of the king, everything smooths out sooner and the war can come down. It can de-escalate and there's more peace and more prosper, uh, prosperity for the, for the kingdom as a whole. Okay, that was way deeper than I expected it to be, but it makes complete sense. Next up, and this is close to where we end, Shay. Well, before Shay comes out, Jamie yeah. talks to Tywin. Mm. Jamie offers to give <laughs> up his gold cloak, return to Casterly Rock, father some sons, and carry on the Lannister name, which is all Tywin ever wanted in the first place. Yeah. They agree to it. Uh-huh. Jamie tells Tyrion, all you have to do is take the black and go up to the wall and you'll be able to live and I'll go to Castor Lock and everyone will be happy and, and we can all just do whatever. And Tyrion comes back. That's what they told Ned Stark and he lost his head. Well, yeah, but it's even more devious than that, I think, right? Because Jamie goes to Tywin with this offer. Hmm thinking that he is he's offering the best thing ever that his you know the thing his father wants right more than anything in exchange for Tyrion's life yep and what he really gets is his father getting what he wanted all along with which which is not just carrying on the name blada blada blada, also getting the hell away from his sister, mm. and get you know getting on with life. Oh, and by the way, sure we won't kill him, but he's still gonna you know he's he's they're removing he's, him from from life. Yeah, he's still killing him. Gonna basically be a guilty prisoner or whatever, yeah. right? And he's I mean, not going to do anything exceptionally well up there at the wall because it's all fighters and, and warriors, all the things that Tyrion is not. It, it, I mean, for the most part, isn't it where you're putting everybody that where you just want to get rid of them? Right. It's, it's the abyss at the end of the jail. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it, you know, I get the, I get the feeling looking at that scene that Jamie thought that he was the one that was going to the table with an offer, where mm-hmm. in fact I think all he really did was fall into Tywin's grand plan all along. Right, and that's kind of horrible and 
devious and wonderful all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And, and then we come back from that and now we have our final witness. As you mentioned before, Shay takes a stand, surprises Tyrion to begin with. Right. Well, she, because she was safely stowed away, right? Right. She Nobody was would be, be able to find her. Yes. Well, they did. And she comes out and tells the story about how Tyrion and Sansa plotted Joffrey's death together. How um, he, Tyrion was uh, manipulative and how he planned the whole thing all the, from the very beginning because he wanted to, to conquer the world and, and, Tyrion asks, how could you do this to me, Shay? And Shay just answers with, with, because I'm a whore. The same words that Tyrion used to try to get convince her to leave. And that's the crushing irony there, right? Is that he had to hurt her to keep her safe. And... Ultimately, she ends up kind of using that against him. Right. And what's hard to know, you know, maybe I'm being naive now, but what's hard to know is, does she believe, is she still feeling like she was thrown out and not aware that she was being saved? And so this is her retribution? Or is this orchestrated by Cersei or someone else that she must testify against Tyrion or she'll be killed or something like that. Right. It's it's hard. She loved him so much. It's just hard to believe that this is a scorned woman and there's not more than that. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So because there's a reason for expressions like that. (laughs) I, I, I can testify that there are plenty of reasons. Tyrion lashes out, starts yelling at everyone, starts attacking people, and basically that he didn't do this. He's not going to die with this crap show of a trial. Um, so he does the only thing he knows how to do. He won- he demands justice by trial by combat. Yeah, and uh, is is that the only thing he knows how to do, or is that just? Kind of like his. It's like your Hail Mary. That's that's right. The, that's exactly. That's what I was gonna say. This yeah. is like my last chance here is yeah. basically gonna. Yeah. The last thing and, I can say before you slam the gavel and, and edict me uh, uh, guilty, I'm gonna throw this out there, and it's like it's like yelling parlay on a pirate ship, you know. <laughs> so so this is you know th- this is basically seeing him pushed to the limit, right? Like he just, right. he had two people that he cared about and who he thought would have his back just turn against him. So it's obvious to him that this whole thing is orchestrated, yep. that he's being set up and that there's no chance of a not guilty verdict here. Right. So in what I think is probably so far, and there have been so many wonderful scenes with Dinklage in Game of Thrones that we've seen so far up to this point. I think this is probably one of his finest acting moments in the series at this point. Yeah. There is definitely a reason why Peter Dinklage is listed first many times when they when they show a list of actors that's not in alphabetical order. 
Um, and this is, this scene is not a small part of that because he does, he just, he's just such an amazing actor to carry on Tyrion the way that he does and to, to hold, and no puns here, but to hold the stature in the show and the presence that he has in the scenes that he has, even when he's written not to, you know, there's certain Mm -hmm. scenes where he's not a main character, but yet he's the one that drives your interest through the scene. And yeah, he's he, Peter Dinklage is just just an amazing actor, and he, he he really puts it all out there on scenes like this, where it's very emotionally charged. You can see the anger and frustration in his face. You can see him questioning himself as he's going through this little speech at the end, and then when he demands the trial by combat, you know, you can see the spit come off his mouth as he's saying it. Like it's not. It's he's totally committed to the part, and the character is totally committed to the message, and it just it just plays out. It plays out very very well. It's so good. It's so good. And and episode. Yes. I wanted to go on so bad. I wanted to watch the next one so bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These uh, these you're gonna have that same feeling at the end of the at the end of of four oh eight. Like it's that's just how it works. That's that's the flow we're in now. Ah, wow. Well, and I'm glad about that because you know we talked about how season three was so trotting. Yeah, and it, it needed to accomplish certain things, and it did. But it it was it at times kind of tedious, and so to get to a point where I can't wait to watch the next thing. Now I kind of I get the frenzy, I get the excitement, and and the hype around this series in a way that I hadn't previously. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it really only kind of escalates from here. Like there's, there's a few off episodes, but for the most part, it's, we're just going to go full steam and things are going to start happening pretty quickly. And there's a lot of story in a very short amount of time. And I'm probably going to get lost again because that's what happens. But, you know, hey, you're not quite caught up yet. So (laughs) exactly. Uh, All right, man, Uh, you should get us out of here. It's been fun. And and I appreciate you uh, kind of guiding me along as you and Jenny often do. Gives me a good perspective that I don't often have on the show. Yep, um, and it, it's fun to hear it from your point of view to relive that majesty of the first time through and the and the the mystery of what's going to happen next and and just how fun it can actually be. Um, meanwhile, you are uh, the while we're recording this, you're in Seattle for an event because you have some podcasts that you like to talk about all kinds of cool things, and that's why you're there in Seattle. So, why don't you tell us about that real quick? Yeah, I am. I'm in Seattle. At, uh, I'm here for the Smart Kitchen Summit. I'm facilitating one of the panel discussions here, and I do this every year. Uh, Smart Kitchen is among the smart home topics that I'm really interested in and uh, that kind of charges me right now. So uh, I'm, I'm here for the the first half of the week anyway for that. And, uh, and while I'm here, I also have an episode of Home On, my smart home podcast that I am uh, needing to get out into the feed in the next day or two. So it's going to be a busy week, and I'm really looking forward to it. And if you're interested in anything that I'm doing on the smart home side, just go to uh, eh, go to a podcast 
listener or, or podcast app and search for my name. You'll find a bunch of stuff out there. <laughs> and uh, if they'd like to see what you're doing on a day-to-day basis and all the things that are exciting you and aggravating you, at Richard Gunther. Yeah, at, at Richard Gunther, uh, the, the aggregated collection of my thoughts. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Ethan Kane, E-T-H-A-N-C-A-I-N-E. And, of course, you can find Jenny when uh, when you want to find her, when she wants to be found, at JennyJ23 on the old Twitter. Uh, hopefully she'll be around to join us next time because even more exciting things happen. I would love to get her spin on the whole deal. As for now... Um, if you have questions or would like to tell us all the things we did wrong, let's talk about thrones at gmail.com. And that will be it for this <laughs> week's episode. Richard, thank you for talking about thrones. Anytime, man. C-O-I